I talk a lot about storytelling in this podcast and how important storytelling is for product managers and really anyone else in business. And this episode is about two particular stories that product managers should know well and in fact should be responsible for gathering and sharing with the marketing and sales organizations as well as using themselves for various purposes as I discuss in the episode. Basically, you should have these two stories in your back pocket is the bottom line. Welcome to episode 315 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers, product marketers, innovators, and entrepreneurs, and everyone who wants to have better, more successful products in the market. I'm your host, Nils Davis. The idea for this episode came to me when I was listening to a podcast called Selling with Social by Mario Martinez Jr. He interviewed Mark Adams, a sales trainer who had just written a book called The Seven Stories That All Salespeople Must Know. I'll give you a link in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 315 to Mario's podcast and whatever other things I mentioned in the show. So Mark talked about these different stories you use in selling. There were seven of them. But I thought that two of them in particular were very much the domain of product management to find, development, and give to the salespeople. In short, product management needs to take ownership of these two stories, one of which is a tragedy, and the other, A Hero's Journey. I start out this episode with a short tutorial on an easy structure that you can use for telling stories. It has a nice resonance with my secret product management framework, which I talk about in my book, The Secret Product Manager Handbook. And then I go into these two key stories that all product managers must know and must be able to tell. Now, if you enjoy this episode and find it useful, please consider sharing it with your colleagues or friends and rating and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get started. You know, storytelling is this really powerful way to connect to people and to create emotional connection and resonance when you're trying to do any kind of persuasion. And of course, sales is full of persuasion as it's doing things like trying to sell the executive team perhaps on a new project that you want them to fund. So storytelling comes into a lots and lots of different things in business. And of course, we all enjoy stories. We like going to the movies. And the movies, in some sense, and, and actually current TV, are the epitome of fantastic storytelling. We're not going to get to that point. But we're going to learn how to do some storytelling that will really enable you to become much more persuasive versus not having good stories. We use storytelling for selling, we use storytelling for pitching, we use storytelling for selling ourselves as well. So when you're interviewing for jobs, you're always being asked things like, tell me about a time when you did XYZ, handled a difficult customer, had to convince somebody to do something they didn't want to do, or show a time when you were creative. You should answer those in the form of stories. That's the best way to answer those. What is a story? Well, we're all familiar with the idea of stories having a beginning, a middle, and end. Every time I've tried to learn how to tell stories better, that's always sort of the first thing that people say. Well, your story needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in fact, I find that to be not very valuable information. And so I was really happy when when a few years ago I learned what I think is a much better way of thinking about stories. The beginning of a story, and this is a basic story structure that works for a lot of selling situations It's not going to get you an Oscar. Uh, It may not get you onto the TED stage, but it's going to work for a lot of the different types of stories you need to tell in the course of being a business person 
whether that's product manager, sales, marketing, something like that. The beginning of the story is about a problem, or it might be about an opportunity that has not yet been realized. But you can think about, about it as a problem. There's some problem that exists. And then the second part of the story, the middle, is about what you did or what somebody did to solve the problem or to try to solve the problem. And then the end of the story is what the results of that were. So for example, here's a very boring story. I was really hungry because I hadn't, I'd skipped lunch. That's my problem. You can tell already this is gonna be kind of a boring story. I was really hungry so I skipped lunch. So I went to the store and I got some salami and some bread and I came home and I made a sandwich. That's the solution. And then the results were that I was no longer starving because I'd eaten and I was really happy and it enabled me to concentrate on the work that, that I needed to do instead of focusing on being hungry. So that's the results. Not a very interesting story. Now it could be, we could make that into a much more interesting story or, well, I think that specific story, I'm hungry, I went and got some food, I'm no longer hungry. That's never that interesting. It might be that I hadn't eaten for three days because I was holed up in a mountain cabin with a broken leg and I was starving. Now that's the beginning of a really good story, potentially. That might be make a good movie. Part of what makes a story good is how dire the problem is. And I'll talk a little bit about how to make sure you find the direness of any problem that you might be thinking about making a story about. That's the basic structure. Beginning is a problem, middle is a solution, the end is some results. This works for most purposes in business storytelling. There's a lot of other variations. There's like 27 different forms of stories and all this stuff and Joseph Campbell. And there's, there's a lot of to, more to be said about stories, but this will take you a long way if you just start out with this concept. There's a problem. I looked for a solution. I tried to find a solution. Perhaps I solved the problem. And then I had some results from that. We can call this structure the PSR for problem solution results. This type of story that you're going to be using for sales, there's a couple of things you need to know about using sales stories in sales. For one thing, it has to be true. It doesn't have to be super literally true, but it has to be directionally true. Sometimes it's possible to take a story about somebody in one segment and, and sort of pitch it as being somebody in the client's segment. If you're, if you're trying to use these stories to help you sell, you might make that little sort of editing. Uh, the other thing that you might do is you might do a little bit of editing on, or wordsmithing you might think about it as, in terms of what the customer actually said. So the customer might have said, I got these great results, but they might not have articulated it very well. And I think it's very reasonable to sort of edit that result, as long as you don't change the meaning, but edit it a little bit so that it sounds a little bit better, so it flows a little bit better. That's a, I think that's a very legitimate change, sort of an editorial change to make. It's, be it's best if you can use the customer's actual words, but sometimes you have to rework those. And they, they really are more compelling if they're the actual words, but sometimes they're just, those actual words aren't good enough and you need to do some editing. A good story is also, so that's the whole thing about true and what I mean by directionally true. The stories should be emotionally compelling. So again, I was hungry, I was starving, I hadn't eaten in three hours, not that emotionally compelling. I was starving because I hadn't eaten in three days. That's emotionally compelling. And there's all these different ways that you can find to make the story emotionally compelling. And I'll talk about some of those uh, a little bit later on when we talk about how to improve the stories. The story should be somewhat exciting. Again, my lunch story was kind of boring until it was I hadn't eaten for three days, then it becomes a little less boring. And generally speaking, you're not gonna use, you're not gonna go on a big long storytelling thing. You're gonna tell a short amount of a story. So how do you make 
these things happen for a story like our customer used our product and got more uptime. Well, I'll do a little example with that toward the end. The two stories that I want to talk about for product managers are what I call the prospect story. And this is a tragedy, usually. It doesn't actually have a happy ending. You use this for various reasons. The most common reason you'd use this is to pitch a new product idea or a new feature idea to your executives to get funding. And I'll talk about what I mean by this being a tragedy in a minute. And I'll give you some structure about what both of these two stories are. The other one is the customer story. And the customer story is a hero's journey. It's the opposite of a tragedy. The customer has great success and things work out really well. And this is because they used our product. Usually you use these for selling. So you might talk to a prospect about a customer story to make them think, oh, my terrible, sad tragedy will be fixed by the thing that fixed the situation for this customer. Um, you can also use them often for addressing objections. For both of these stories, they start with a market problem that has significant impact. And what do I mean by that? This is a problem that the prospect or the customer is experiencing. If you're selling business software, enterprise software, which is what I do, this would be some way that the business is not being effective. Maybe, the, maybe sales are not going well, or maybe they have big turnover on clients. So there's some big problem that's causing them a big issue. So both these stories start the same way, the prospect story and the customer story. What happens in the prospect story is that they go through a bunch of attempts to find a solution. If it's enterprise software, again, often some of the techniques they'll use is they'll try to build a solution. They'll go out in the market to try to buy a solution. Maybe they'll implement a solution that doesn't work. And the results are that they fail to find a solution and things just keep getting worse and worse the situation gets more and more dire. So that's why it's a tragedy, because they don't have a good outcome at the end. And this is why we might use this story if I'm pitching to some executives about creating a solution to these people's problem. I'm going to say, they have tried all these things, and there is no good solution out there for them. And I think we can build a solution that will enable them to have success. That's, why, that's how I use that story. I paint this picture of a terrible, dire situation that this potential pool of prospects have, and then I say, we can solve that. So that's how you would use a prospect story. Now the customer story is, is the opposite. Again, it starts with a problem, perhaps the same problem, because I now have a solution to that problem. The way that I talk about the solution is that they tried lots of different things, building their own solution, buying competitors, and at some point they found us, and suddenly their problem was solved. And then the results are all the good outcomes from getting those results. And those outcomes are business outcomes, like, for example, they might their revenue might start growing again, or they might have reduced attrition significantly of their customers, whatever it might be. You also want to tie in things like whether the person you sold to maybe got a promotion. And the reason you want to do that is because you want to put emotionally compelling stuff into your story. It turns out that for most people, Business results, unless they are incredibly awesome, like a factor of 10, are not that emotionally compelling. What is emotionally compelling is, oh, and our customer got a raise. Our customer got a promotion. Our customer is recognized for being the most effective sales manager in the company after implementing our software. Those become emotionally compelling. Now, another piece you're going to want to do, you're going to do the same thing when you're talking about the problem you're going to talk about how dire the problem is from a business standpoint, but also how dire the problem is from the standpoint of your prospect as a person. They might get fired. They might lose their job. They might not make quota. They might not get home 
to see their kids' baseball games. If it's a, if our solution is the type of thing that saves a lot of time, it may be that they're spending 47 hours a week creating the TPS reports, and our solution lets them create those in five minutes. Suddenly, they're able to go home and watch their kids' baseball game, and that is a personally meaningful goal that's emotionally compelling. If you're telling a story to someone, and they will they will glom onto that. So. You need to have all these emotionally compelling components as well as business components. One of the things that, if you look at a lot of customer success stories that are like, you look go to any enterprise software company's website, or most, most enterprise software, any business product, go to their website and look for their customer success stories, they typically leave out these emotionally compelling pieces from the customer success stories. And the fact is that if they were to include those, the stories would get much better and much more compelling. Instead, they mostly talk about the business results, and it's leaving a lot of value on the floor, in my opinion. And I'm sure that all of these stories have emotionally compelling components, personal goals achieved, but you often don't see them. Anyway, so what do you need to have in order to be effective at, at creating these stories? Well, first of all, you need to have done market discovery, because you have to have market discovery to learn about the prospect's pain and then to tell that story. So you're going to go out and do market discovery in your market. You're going to talk to people that are suffering from all these different problems. You're going to find out what problems they're suffering from. from. You're going to write those things down. You're going to, after you hear about the same problem multiple times, you're going to say, oh, there's a significant problem out here in the market. You hopefully will have a lot of quotes from your prospects, the people in the market, about how terrible it is to have this problem, all the things they tried, how often they got to go home and see their kid's baseball game which would be never because they spend too much time doing TPS reports. You need to do market discovery to find these prospect problems, the prospect stories, because it's all about what's happening to the prospect. To tell a customer story, you need to have successful customers who have implemented your solution and solved that big problem and have results and got their promotion as well as having the business results. If you don't have market discovery, you really are gonna have a hard time telling these stories because what you're going to be what you are going to be tempted to do is to make them up. Sometimes that works, but usually it doesn't. It turns out that if you haven't really found a legitimate market problem out in the market and you're just creating a solution cuz you think in your brain that this problem must exist or maybe it's a problem that you perceive, products that are built on that structure typically fail almost always. It's very rare that a product conceived in that way succeeds. Sometimes happens, very rare. If you don't have customers yet, you can still kind of make up a customer-like story. Now, you still won't be able to have the emotionally compelling personal results, but you can talk about how the problem will be solved using your solution. You might be able to imply some, some potential personal results, like this will take a process that takes five hours to do down to five minutes, and that will give you time to do X, Y, and Z. But it's much better to have the actual customer stories, and of course, if your product really does provide that solution, you should be able to get those kinds of stories relatively quickly, and you should always make sure to ask for those. If you have a customer who's successful, you wanna say, well, what were your business results? And you also wanna ask questions to get at the personal results. How did that make you feel? Did you get a promotion, or did you get any recognition for solving this problem? Now, the way that you use these stories, I kinda of talked about this already a little bit, you use the prospect story to pitch new ideas to the executive team a problem with significant impact to the customer, 
talked about all the things that they tried and how they were unsuccessful finding a solution. You're going to then pitch that if we create a solution, we will get the following benefits or our prospects will get the following benefits and they will be much happier and they will we will ride off into the sunset making a lot of money. So that's how you use this prospect story. It's really about pitching the idea of building a solution to a problem that you found in the market. In fact, you would typically not use this story in selling. Now you'd use some of the components because the components, right, the problem is the same problem that your customers have. But what you're going to use when you're selling is you're going to use the customer success story. Because in what happens in the customer success story is this fantastic moment when the customer discovers your solution and then they implement your solution and they have these fantastic results. That's, so, that's the way that you use these. So this one is really used in a customer situation. You can use variations on these as well for not just for pitching to a prospect. You, might, you can use them for handling objections as well. So for example, if the prospect says you're, you're trying to pitch your solution to a prospect and they say, well, you don't have feature X and your competitor has feature X and we really want feature X, then you hopefully have a customer story in your back pocket that says, well, you know, we had a customer, they also wanted feature X, and they were disappointed that we didn't have that, but they decided to go with us anyway, and now they're using feature Y on our product, and actually they're super happy, and I just recently talked to them, and they said they don't think there's really any need for feature X because they have feature Y, some story like that. Right, so, so that's how you might use it to handle a story like this to handle an objection. So let me just tie this into, if you're familiar with my book, I have this structure in there that I call the Secret Product Management Framework. And the basic idea is that what product management really consists of is three main things. It's finding and validating market problems. In other words, finding problems that people out there in the market have and that are so bad that they're willing to spend money to solve them. So we find those problems. We then create solutions to those problems, or we work with our development team typically to make the solution. And then we take the solution to market, which means finding other people that have those problems, letting them know we have a solution, and telling them why our solution is superior to their other alternatives. That's essentially, essentially the framework. Find a market problem, create a solution, take the solution to market. I think it's very interesting that the storytelling framework is very similar to this. It starts with a problem, it talks about a solution, and go-to-market is a little bit different than results, but they kind of tie together. In market discovery, we learn about the potential problems out there, and we validate that they're terrible. And then when we create the solution, in order to create the solution, in order to have anybody even decide to work on our solution or to give us funding for it, we have to tell the stories about the problems that we found and how terrible they are and how we can have a big impact by creating a solution. And you use those stories not just actually for your executives to sell the idea of the product, but also with your development team so that they can get engaged in creating it. And oftentimes they'll create a better solution if they really understand the problem, rather than just you tell them, I want this feature, I want that feature. And then finally, marketing and sales use these stories to go to market, and they use the prospect story actually to do marketing. What marketing really is trying to do is to find other people with, this, with these problems. And so they're going to be using the problems that you discovered as part of the prospect story. And they're going to say, hey, if you have this problem, this terrible problem that we know people have, you should come look at our solution because we have solved it. Right? So that's how the prospect story plays into that as well. So those are the, two, the stories, the, pro, the prospect story and the customer story. What's the action that you should take about this? Well, you should be doing market discovery and finding these prospect stories, these stories about these terrible situations. And of course, 
as your product rolls out, you want to get your customers to give you feedback on their experiences and make sure that you're capturing those stories, both the business results as well as the personal results. Now, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the coaching on how to make your stories better. So I, I mentioned that you want to make the problem really dire. And the fact is that most of us, at least this is my experience, are not that good at recognizing how bad a problem might might be. We're, we tend to soft pedal the problem a lot of times. Now, this is true both when we're telling our own stories. Like if you go back to that, I mentioned when you ask interview questions, tell me about a time. And, but it also happens in business and customer success stories as well. So we might say the sales team missed quota a couple quarters. You know, you can infer that that could potentially be a big problem, but it's much better when you're telling that particular story is to say something along the lines of our sales were tanking. And if we didn't fix something, the company was going to go out of business. That is true. I don't even have to make that up. If you miss quota over and over again, if the sales team can't meet quota over and over again, then eventually the result is the company goes out of business because you can't make enough money. And so it's not a lie, It's not, but it is pointing out that, yeah, the, the outcome of this particular problem is the company goes out of business eventually, or you lose all your good salespeople. There's all these different things that can happen. Certainly, if you're a sales manager in a company where, that can't make quota, you're probably going to get fired. That happens well before the company goes out of business. Even if it's not really your fault, even if even if there's some other reason that you're not making quota, you know, maybe it's not you as a sales manager and how well you manage, maybe there's some other problem that's keeping the company from, from keeping the sales from going up. The point is you're probably going to get fired. So you can do all kinds of things about that. You can ask these questions when you're discovering these problems, right? What would have happened if you hadn't solved the problem? Well, if you continue to not make quota, the company goes out of business, certainly the sales manager gets fired, there's going to be a reorg, a bunch of salespeople are going to leave, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what if it's a different type of problem? For example, what if it's a problem where it's taking 47 hours a week to do the TPS reports? Well, at that point, you can say, well, how much is this costing you? How much is this costing you every week? What are you not getting done? What are the things that are falling off your plate that you need to get done, but you're not getting done because you're spending all your time doing TPS reports? How does that affect, affect your personal life? Do you ever get home? Do you, have you seen your son in the last five years? Have you seen your wife in the last five years? No, I have to spend 47 hours a week doing TPS reports and then the rest of my job. And so you want to learn about all these, these potential impacts, both business and personal, because that will help you make the story better. So then, for example, in the TPS report example, I will say, I would say something along the lines of, these people spend 47 hours a week working on the TPS reports and that means that there's a bunch of other the other stuff that doesn't get done. It's costing them a huge amount. It's costing them, you know, forty-seven thousand dollars a week to do this, and means that they never get to see their families. And so there's been a bunch of divorces, whatever. <laughs> you know, you can obviously you want to learn what the real aspects of the story are. You know, you you also can ask questions like, what's the impact of of not fixing this problem, right? What is the personal impact on you? What does it mean for your job? You can always ask when you're doing these types of questions, tell me more about that. We're all a little reticent when we're initially asked about things. And so we might just say, well, it takes us a long time to do the TPS reports. You want to come back and say, well, tell me more about that. And they might say, well, they might lead down a path that they might start talking about how much they're not getting done elsewhere or how 
much they're not getting to see their family or how much it costs. You can ask another leading question, well, how much time does it take you to do the TPS reports? And so you can follow those types of questions and you can get often, you can find out a lot of really bad stuff. And then what you want to do is you want to combine that into what I call a vertical takeoff, which is like my phrase that I used earlier, sales were tanking. If I miss quota every quarter for three quarters, I can say sales were tanking. That's a very attention grabbing phrase. How, do you, how are you going to make use of this? Well, you're going to find that vertical takeoff, as I mentioned. You want to work on getting concrete results. So some level of business results. There's a phrase about persuasion, and since we're using these stories in the persuasion context, which is that people make decisions emotionally, and then they justify them rationally. So that's why you have to have the emotional components. Oh, that person was going to get fired. But you also have to have some level of the business justification for the decision as well. Oh, that saved us $100,000 a year. That's a nice business justification that goes along with, and I got a promotion. So you need to have both of those things in order to make the decisions stick and, and be justified. When you find a problem, one of the other things is you're going to ask all these questions about the problem, and like you're going to find out that, oh, sales are tanking. You're going to find out that, that uh, somebody was about to get fired. You're going to find out your customer satisfaction was low and all these things. When you get to this results part of the story, you want to pay off all of those concerns. So in the problem, it was my sales were tanking. In the results, it was we beat quota by 20% every quarter since then. If it was I, didn't, I don't get home to see my kid's baseball game, it's I make every baseball game now. If it was I was going to get fired, it's like I got a promotion, I got recognition, something like that. It's really great if you can add in it, if you can get an additional payoff as well. Most quantitative results are not that emotionally compelling, so you can use them, but you need to combine them with something else. Some quantitative results are like a factor of 10 improvement in something. So for example, I worked on a product where we, we increased the uptime of Windows servers from 80% to like 99.9%. Easy, we could do that in the first day. Well, that's a 20% that's a improvement in uptime, but a factor of 100 reduction in downtime. That's actually emotionally compelling to people. If you say, we basically eliminated downtime, we reduced it by a factor of 100. That actually is pretty compelling to the types of people that buy system management software. They might not be that excited by a 10% reduction in downtime, even though that's their job, but they're very excited by a factor of 100 reduction in downtime. So you want some emotionally grabby results, as I mentioned. And you know you can also sometimes, to some people, things like we crush the competitors is an emotionally compelling result as well. hope you found that discussion of these two key stories that product managers should know useful and that you'll be able to apply that in your own work. For more information and to find useful links to related information, check the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 315. Don't forget, I do a live video series on YouTube on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. Link in the show notes if you want to join me live. And of course, you can watch the archive videos at any time. Please consider sharing this episode in the podcast with other product managers or interested people. You can click the like button on the episode or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to help other folks discover the episode and the podcast. Until the next episode, this is Nels Davis signing off. Thanks for listening. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition.